Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Suk Park, who is co-founder of Drama Fever Corp. Today we will discuss Drama Fever. Suk oversees licensing and revenue-generating activities, including advertising sales and redistribution partnerships, to multiple top-tier platforms at his company. He has 15 years of international business experience, striking joint ventures and licensing partnerships in 24 countries throughout Asia, Latin America, and Europe. Prior to Drama Fever, Suk led the international division of Zif. Davis Media and was Director of International Business Development at Citadon. Born in Korea and raised in Spain, he began his career at Solomon Smith Barney after earning a Master's of Business Administration from New York's Columbia Business School and graduating cum laude from the University of Rochester in New York. He lives in New York with his wife, Borum, and his daughter. Suk, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here, Elena. So before we get started on the details, please tell us what Drama Fever is. I've been to the website and I've even watched some of the programs, <laughs> but I'm thinking that perhaps some of our audience are not familiar. So please, would you tell our audience, what is Drama Fever? Sure. Drama Fever started uh, with the idea that there was a lot of content internationally that uh, uh, never got a chance to be exposed in the U.S., um, and we started out uh, in the beginning of 2009 uh, with content from Korea. Uh, televised episodic format from Korea is widely popular throughout Asia. Uh, and we noticed that in the U.S., a lot of it was uh, being consumed through illegal channels. Um, so we built a business model where we would license legally all the content that we could from Asia, from Korea, uh, for distribution in the U.S., uh, and uh, in about two and a half years, we became the largest aggregator and distributor of uh, Korean and Asian television content uh, in North America. Uh, starting uh, towards the end of last year, uh, we expanded our content offering to include uh, content from Latin America and Europe, primarily from Spain. Uh, and we are in the process of building uh, one of the largest catalogs of uh, uh, television content from uh, the broadcasters in Latin America, uh, including Brazil and uh, Spain. Everything that we uh, distribute is uh, subtitled, uh, legally licensed, uh, and monetized mostly through advertising. Essentially, these are full-length programs that are available on the Drama Fever website for viewers in the United States to watch at their convenience, is that right? That's correct. So we have a uh, an online uh, VOD model, a video on demand. Uh, everything uh, is available uh, for users uh, for free, uh, and it's obviously monetized through uh, through advertising. And um, you know, we make sure that we do a couple of things. The first one is uh, in the countries where we license content from. Uh, we try to make sure that we license uh, their best titles from the recent years. Uh, after that, we make sure that we localize the content through uh, subtitling, metadata, and positioning. Uh, what I mean by positioning is uh, making it easier to find, relating it to familiar titles that uh, the U.S. audience might already be familiar with, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, television series and whatnot. And then 
linking the titles that we have on our catalog to each other so that if you've enjoyed, say, a series from uh, Argentina, uh, then, you know, you might also be interested in series, similar series uh, from Chile and Brazil. How many programs do you have available as of April 2013? Right now, we have a little over 500 titles. That's about uh, just shy of 15,000 hours of content um, and uh, about 10% and growing uh, is from uh, Spanish or Brazilian Portuguese. What kind of viewership numbers are you seeing in the U.S.? Right now in uh, in the U.S., we have about 4 million unique visitors uh, that come in every month, uh, consuming uh, about 8 million uh, video streams a month. Is the programming available outside the U.S.? In other words, people who have are connecting to the Drama Fever website from outside U.S. addresses, can they see your programs? Right now, uh, we our service is open in North America. About 11 12% of our users and views come from Canada. When you say North America, is that including Mexico as well? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Canada and the United States. So Canada and the United States are the only countries that have access to the programming and 10 to 12% of the audience is coming from Canada? That's right. So that 4 million number that you shared a minute ago, is that including the Canadian audience? Yes, it is. Is there a further geographic breakdown in terms of viewership in the United States are most of the viewers, for example, in metropolitan areas and urban centers? What, what can you tell us about that? Sure. So when we look at our, uh, the distribution, the geographic distribution of our audience, um, it gravitates towards the big, uh, the states that have big urban areas. Uh, so our top geo right now is California, uh, around uh, L.A., San Francisco, San Diego. Uh, second is uh, New York. Uh, followed by Texas. And in terms of the audience, do you have any breakdown in terms of their racial or ethnic breakdown, gender, age, etc.? Absolutely. So for a site that uh, you know still has uh, a lot of Asian content, uh, you know, as of the third quarter of last year, um, the Hispanic population, uh, the Hispanic percentage of the audience was uh, about 11, 12 percent. Uh, since we started including uh, titles from Latin America and Spain, uh, our current uh, Hispanic representation is 32 percent, or 1.3 million visitors of our total. And there are a couple of interesting things about this. You know, for uh, our site, uh, you know, we have a very diverse ethnic composition. Uh, I mentioned 32% uh, Hispanic. Uh, there's about 29% Caucasian. Uh, African-American representation is about 22%, and the remainder is Asian. Wow, that is interesting. Is it most of your inventory Asian? The 
most of the inventory is Asian, uh, but there's a couple of interesting things here. I think the first one is a lot of the uh, uh, the ethnic audiences that uh, that get a, that are attracted to Drama Fever are already uh, familiar with the episodic television format, uh, and they are they have a predisposition for uh, international content. And a lot of the storylines that uh, that we promote uh, have uh, very uh, similar characteristics. You know, love triangle, uh, very strict uh, parents-in-law that are uh, causing a lot of a heartache and headache, uh, rivalry between lovers, etc. Uh, and uh, they're very compelling storylines that you know cater to uh, a very ethnic audience. What percentage of your inventory would you say originates in Asia? What percentage in Latin America and what percentage in Europe? Let's look at it that way. Sure. Um, I, we usually, uh, bucket, uh, the content from Spain with the rest of the, uh, the Latin American, uh, titles. Uh, and that's about 10% of our total inventory. Does that mean the remaining 90% is from Asia? It's from Asia, yes. And when you look at what people are watching, is that reflective of the audience breakdown that you shared with us earlier, or do the different groups cross from one side of the inventory to the other? There is a lot of uh, crossover. Uh, In other words, if uh, I'm used to watching a... Uh, Korean, uh, we call them dramas, uh, it'll be, uh, I, if I'm, if they, if, if the system, if Drama Fever positions, uh, a compelling, uh, telenovela or serie, uh, I'm very primed to, uh, to explore that title as well. Um, so there's, I think, a couple of things going on in here. I think the first one is, uh, already the audience being primed for uh, the episodic format. Uh, the second one is uh, the compelling uh, storylines that uh, most of these uh, stories embody. And then the third one is, you know, starting last year when we, we did two things. We started including a lot of uh, content in Spanish and uh, in Portuguese, but we also started subtitling uh, our Asian content into Spanish which I think garnered a lot of attention amongst the uh, uh, the Hispanic population. So is your Asian content subtitled in English and Spanish? That's right. Which makes it available then for Spanish-dominant and, and or English-dominant viewers that are not speaking the language. Absolutely. When you look at the viewing preferences, are you able to identify which groups are watching which programs? And if so, say, for example, what are the top three favorites in terms of numbers? Sure. So um, this past month, uh, we had a breakout title uh, from Spain called uh, Isabel, which was the number one title uh, in Spain in 2012. And it's, uh, you know, when, when we generally think about, uh, TV series from Latin America, the first thing that comes to mind, 
are telenovelas with the overdramatic um, actors and actresses and almost bordering stereotypical representation of uh, Latino entertainment. Uh, what we've been able to do is sort of, you know, veer away from that and showcase titles that are historical. So Isabel is about uh, the story of uh, Reina Isabel la Católica, uh, and it's what we could call a costume drama, the horses and uh, a timepiece uh, title. And that one is, in the two weeks that it has been out uh, right now, one of our top five most watched titles on Drama Fever. Overall. Uh, overall, that's correct. So, um, you know, it's so the first point I'm trying to make is that it's it's not the titles that you would assume, you know, the, the, the telenovelas that everybody sort of uh, assumes that people are watching. Uh, it's more uh, innovative and creative content that we've been able to, uh, to showcase on our platform. Um, another great title... Uh, that we have uh, is called Los Hombres de Paco and this is something that is uh, streaming both on Drama Fever uh, and Hulu um, that's another piece of our business we do redistribution to uh, established platforms like Hulu, Netflix uh, and others uh, and this one is uh, a very modern time comedy um, that again uh, steps away from the traditional telenovela setting uh, to provide a very modern, humorous take on uh, on a police, a team of policemen uh, and their families. How would you describe your the profile of your typical viewer? This is obviously not just a soap opera, telenovela sort of audience. It sounds like this audience is a slightly different pro- profile. Uh, how would you describe that? Yes, I think um, well. When we take a step back and look at the uh, the overall composition of our of our demographic, we know that it's it tends to be a little younger. So two thirds of our uh, audience uh, is under the age of 34. Uh, we know that it's extremely diverse. So you know, for a site that is uh, that has a high uh, Asian uh, content base, uh, over 80 percent of the audience is not Asian. Uh, and like I mentioned, 32% uh, Hispanic. Uh, and, you know, the third sort of characteristic is that uh, the audience is extremely engaged. Um, on a per-average uh, base, we have uh, each user spends over 100 minutes on Drama Fever a month, uh, which is, uh, you know, four times uh, the top 50 internet properties in terms of time spent on site. Um, and what's interesting is when we parse out uh, the Hispanics, um, they actually uh, watch almost twice uh, as much as uh, our regular users. Uh, so on a per visit, we have an average of 35 minutes uh, but on the uh, on the Latino side, it's close to 66. So you, the percentage of Hispanics is high overall in relation to the inventory that you have, and in addition to that, they also tend to over-index in their use of the programming. Is that right? That's correct. And, you know, we look at the data, uh, and we're trying to 
see patterns in terms of consumption. Uh, and I think there's a couple things at play. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a little bit of the, some of the other titles that we have on our platform, some of the titles that are coming, and maybe that will shed some light on uh, what the Drama Fever uh, service has been able to do. Um, so from um, Argentina, there's this great title um, called Mujeres Asesinas or Killer Woman. Uh, this is a title that has been remade in Colombia, in Mexico, and it's now being remade in the U.S., uh, I think Sofia Vergara is one of the executive producers, uh, but it originated in uh, uh, in Argentina, and it's one of these titles about you know women who have been uh, hurt uh, and betrayed, and they take revenge. And it's a, a unitary series, so every series, every episode has a beginning and an end, um, and and it encompasses uh, a very different set of uh, set of uh, attributes. Uh, again, that go against sort of the stereotypical telenovela. It has very strong uh, leading uh, lady roles, roles uh, which you know take care of uh, of revenging uh, you know previous uh, harm done to them, uh, as opposed to sort of you know. What you would see uh, uh, in uh, in, uh, in a much more traditional telenovela, which is the overdramatic uh, sort of uh, 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 jealous lover type, um, you know, from Banderante in Brazil, uh, we're bringing in uh, a title called Policia 24 Hours, uh, which is uh, the Brazilian version of Cops. Uh, also, uh, sort of putting a much more uh, a lens on the on the real. Uh, you know, situation with the favelas and uh, and crime in Brazil, uh, and another series called uh, Brilliante Football Club, which is about uh, young girls starting their own uh, soccer team, uh, and their lead to becoming champions. So it's it's a mix of something fresh, something that hasn't really had a chance uh, to shine in the U.S. Uh, and we make it available, uh, you know, for folks who who want to be entertained in a in a in a in a different way. What prompted you to make the subtitles available in Spanish? Which is based on research or feedback from your audience? Well, we saw uh, when we first started, and throughout the history of Drama Fever, um, the percentage of uh, Latinos coming to Drama Fever grow. Uh, and honestly, once you have subtitles, say, from uh, Korea or China uh, into English, uh, turn them to Spanish is, is easy. Uh, and we thought that it would be a great value add uh, to um, you know, our audience who, who are mostly of, uh, of uh, primarily uh, Spanish speakers. Most of your U.S. Hispanic audience are Spanish dominant. Is that what you're saying? No, I, th- I think there's both. Uh, I think we cater to uh, a younger demographic uh, with the content type that we bring in, uh, and I, my guess is that they probably watch it uh, with English subtitles. But as an added service for uh, those folks that are, you know, primarily Spanish speakers, uh, it wasn't that hard to create the Spanish subtitles after we had them in English. 
What percentage of your audience would you estimate is taking advantage of that feature, the Spanish language subtitle? There is a button on uh, uh, on our website called En Español, which turns uh, the entire website into Spanish. Uh, and right now, about it, it fluctuates between three to five percent uh, of our overall usage, uh, folks watching it in Espanol. Three to four percent of the Hispanic audience, or three to four percent of the four million overall. Of the audience? overall, of the overall. So that's pretty high. If this is only available to viewers in the U.S. and Canada, right? It's it is high, um, but. You know, I mean, considering that it is the the subtitles are in English and Spanish, and those are the two only options. Uh, you know, it's 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 a pleasant surprise for us. How is your audience finding out about you? So, because we, uh, you know, we're a startup, we haven't done any major uh, marketing initiatives. A lot of it is uh, word of mouth. Uh, a lot of uh, folks through the social platforms uh, recommend titles, uh, and I think uh, there, you know, you can only assume that there has always been uh, a, Latin, a latent demand uh, for international content. Uh, the minute that we're able to shed a bright light on the content on a legal platform, uh, I think that sparked a lot of folks to to come in and then share. Uh, the drama fever uh, platform with their peers and their colleagues. So it's it's the, our best marketing source uh, are our users. And you say, did I hear you say social media platforms? Yes. So we are very active uh, on Facebook uh, and Twitter, uh, but we also allow inside of Drama Fever. Uh, for our different users to review, uh, upload pictures uh, of, uh, of actors and actresses, uh, and generally just uh, have an online discussion around uh, the titles and the people that they're very passionate about. And you're not doing any promotional advertising to drive that. It's just users that are recommending the site to others. Is that right? That's what, that's our primary source of uh, of new visits, uh, and and through uh, sort of the virality and the and the and the word of mouth, our site uh, historically has uh, doubled every seven to nine months. Um, now, when we do redistribution through other platforms, so a portion of our content gets redistributed uh, to Hulu and to Netflix, uh, we always make sure to brand our content Drama Fever uh, so that you know it actually becomes a brand in itself. Would you explain a little bit more what that means? If, if sure. I go to Hulu, will your program stand out as a separate channel? Yes, so if you go to Hulu and you type in Drama Fever, uh, we have the second largest catalog by volume uh, on the Hulu platform, and you'll be able to scroll down through all of the titles that we uh, redistribute. Uh, basically, out of the 500 uh, titles that we have in our catalog, about 150 are on Hulu right now. Um, and the minute that you press play, uh, the first thing you'll see uh, is a uh, is a drama fever banner uh, taking over the video, uh, and throughout the video you'll see a drama fever 
we call them uh, a logo bug. Uh, it's a transparent logo that is in the corner of the video. So through these types of uh, branding uh, exercises, uh, we want to make sure that you know, for anybody who has had any interest through other platforms on international content, they'll recognize the Drama Fever brand and then come to our site to enjoy a much deeper and broader catalog. The 4 million viewership number that you shared at the beginning, is that including Hulu numbers or is that excluding Hulu numbers? No, that's only for the dramafever.com website. So in addition to that, there would be viewership from Hulu and Netflix? That's correct. Do you have any numbers from those that you could share? Um, it's uh, it's a little unclear. Uh, it we know that uh, on the Hulu side, uh, it's we have high engagement as well uh, for our videos. It's uh, it's a very important channel within the uh, Hulu ecosystem. Uh, my guess would be anywhere between uh, one to three million uh, a month in terms of uniques watching uh, at least uh, one video stream. Between Hulu and Netflix? Uh, that's just Hulu. Uh, in Netflix, it's a little more unclear because they do not share uh, consumption data with their uh, content partners. And how does that work from a monetizing perspective? I assume that whatever is on your website, obviously you get the revenue uh, after you've paid for your operating expenses, and then for the redistribution, you have some sort of a different agreement. Um, yeah. So for you know, we work with our partners uh, on a revenue share basis. So all fronts are um, uh, are motivated to uh, make every title succeed. Um, and the same case with uh, Hulu and Netflix. Any revenue that comes from the redistribution platforms we share with our partners as well. What do you anticipate as you move forward? You're talking about doubling every seven to nine months, which seems like a lot. Is that right? Uh, yes, but we're still in the, you know, with four million uniques, it's still considered, uh, you know, in the growth mode. Uh, so I think at least for another uh, one and a half to two years, we can expect uh, this type of growth. Let's step back for a second, Suk, if sure. you would, and take a look sort of at the bigger picture, a bird's eye view of viewing consumption at, in the U.S., we're seeing, of course, this is not news, but we're seeing that many in the audience are turning away from traditional television channels, the networks, even cable television, especially among the young demographics, and that many are consuming their programming online. What can you tell us about that? Well, I think that uh, when it comes to uh, content, um, you know, we're moving towards uh, an environment when uh, the content owners and distributors uh, need to make it very easy uh, and very accessible for uh, younger users to access uh, any and all content uh, that they might be interested in. Um, you know, it's, I think, the, the days that, you know, one or two shows 
will dominate uh, the entire market share are are over. Uh, and I think you know being able to present uh, audiences, specifically the younger audiences, with choices, uh, will become much more important. Um, I think that you know in the U.S. Uh, historically, it's been very tough uh, to get foreign content uh, in mainstream broadcast, uh, but slowly we're seeing um, you know, spots where international content uh, has become extremely popular. Uh, the most recent example is probably Downton Abbey, uh, which is a series that nobody really wanted, uh, and you know PBS picked it up. And when was the last time anybody watched anything on PBS other than Sesame Street? Uh, and suddenly, you know, uh, two Sundays ago, it was the most watched uh, Sunday night uh, TV. So in that sense, we're seeing two things. The first one is the need to make content, a wider range of content, easily uh, searchable uh, and viewable by users. And the second one is being able to curate relevant international content for consumption, for uh, a growing uh, demographic that, that, frankly, I think is yearning for more diversity uh, and international content. Is the growth potential there, I guess, is part of the, the question. Is this abandoning of traditional television viewing with fixed times and watching videos on demand online. Is this a trend that's here to stay or do you have any research that you've looked at to support that? Well, I think that, you know, when we look at some of the, uh, the mainstream uh, VOD uh, leaders like Hulu, Netflix, uh, and to some degree, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, HBO Go. Uh, I think everybody is already getting ready for that shift. Uh, a shift where, you know, I have the choice of when and what to watch, uh, in the way I want to watch it. Uh, and especially, uh, with a, a younger demographic becoming much more mobile with their technology, uh, you know, access to either Wi-Fi or high, uh, cellular internet. Uh, connectivity. Uh, all of these things are basically setting the tone uh, for uh, content being distributed uh, in a mobile manner. Uh, when it comes to Drama Fever, you know, we take a step away from everything that is already well represented through the broadcasters and the mainstream uh, VOD channels and focus on that mid-tail where you have uh, great content from overseas that basically don't get any distribution uh, in the States. Uh, and that content with, uh, with some localization, uh, again, you know, the subtitling, the positioning, uh, and the, the, the metadata for the different platforms to be able to, uh, to stream it, uh, are, are, are things that you know, we've become very good at doing. Uh, and being able to bring all of that Great content, award-winning content, uh, blockbuster titles uh, from foreign countries, uh, and showcase them in the U.S. I think that in itself has a lot of growth potential as well. So it's a it's sort of a, a two uh, drivers uh, for this business to grow. One, uh, everybody watching it uh, online, uh, 
uh, on demand uh, in multiple platforms. And the second one is being able to exploit uh, the undervaluing and underdistribution of great content from around the world. Let's go back a second to something that you said about mobile and online. Do you have any information on where your viewers are watching your content? Are they, is this a tablet? Is this a smartphone? Is this a desktop sort of viewing? Do you have any information on that? Sure. So up until last year, we were mostly a PC uh, website, so you needed to have uh, a computer to be able to stream the videos. Um, starting towards the end of last year, we released our first uh, mobile app, uh, which was an iPhone uh, native app to be able to stream uh, the videos. And in a few months, that has already become over 20% of our overall consumption. Uh, in the next uh, few weeks, uh, we're launching a native uh, iPad app, uh, Android app, uh, and before the year end, uh, launching in the uh, game consoles. By game consoles as in Xbox and so forth? Xbox and PlayStation are the two big ones that uh, we're focusing on right now. So this is showing a, a very fast growth model. Is that right? Uh, yes. We figure that uh, the audience, uh, in terms of their profile, um, are very uh, technology savvy. Uh, and uh, being in multiple distribution platforms, uh, in terms of hardware, uh, is essential for our growth. Um, the trick is to do that while still... Uh, being able to create a product that's free and advertisement-based. The reason for that is because the content is still uh, underrepresented in the U.S., there's a discovery aspect of it. Uh, and discovery needs to be something which is, in many cases, you know, free uh, so people can test. Uh, so the business model there uh, revolves around being able to offer a free uh, solution where uh, or free service, rather, uh, which uh, is then monetized through uh, video advertisements. So these are early adopters, if I'm, he- if I'm hearing you correctly. These individuals are early adopters who are also technologically savvy and experienced. That's correct. I mean, the fact that uh, most of, uh, of our audience, I mean, the only way to watch uh, the service is through a PC uh, or through a, uh, a mobile device uh, already, uh, I think, self-selects folks who are tech-savvy. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the foreign content aspect of our service uh, caters to a very diverse type of audience. What about gender, Suk? Do you know anything about that breakdown? Yeah, so the gender that we have right now, uh, it fluctuates by uh, by title. Uh, right now, the Quantcast number shows that it's pretty even, about 54% uh, female, so slightly more uh, female than, than male. But when we go into the specific uh, genres, uh, you know, the romantic comedies, for instance, uh, are very uh, female 
heavy, and then uh, a lot of the action titles uh, are more male oriented. Does that hold steady when you break that down by racial and ethnic groups? Yes. When you look at your crystal ball, <laughs> what do you see in terms of the, the, the growth? Where is it going to come from? Do you see more growth from these diverse audiences? Or do you think that that's because the diverse audiences tend to skew very diverse? You know, the growth in the country is coming from diverse markets. What, what do you anticipate? Well, I think there are a couple of uh, opportunities that we need to uh, take a look and, uh, and, and, and really driving a business is about making uh, decisions given all the opportunities that are ahead of you. Um, I think that uh, in the U.S. alone, uh, there is going to be a, a significant uh, audience for foreign content. I mean, that's, we've already seen that in broadcast. We're seeing that already on, uh, the online distribution platforms. Uh, and, you know, out of the 300 million connected individuals, uh, I think a good percentage of them, uh, will have, uh, some, uh, gravity towards, uh, foreign content. So that's the first one. The second one is, you know, once we have, uh, created a, um, uh, a video, uh, streaming service uh, which caters a lot of the foreign content, there's no reason to stop only in the U.S. This can be made available throughout Latin America, Europe, and Asia. Uh, and I think that's another huge opportunity, especially when we look at all of the uh, U.S. content that goes uh, unlicensed internationally and being able to carry those uh, to uh, outside of, 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 of uh, North America. Why is it that you started out with such a high percentage of your content originating in Asia? Was this just a fluke? Was it just contacts that you had as the founders? Well, you know, initially, yes. Uh, both uh, my partner and I are of Korean descent. Uh, and, you know, we traveled a lot throughout Asia. We saw the popularity of Korean dramas throughout all of Asia. You could be in Beijing, Shanghai, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, and primetime television on a Thursday night will be a Korean drama that's either subtitled, dubbed, sometimes both. Uh, of course, when we did our research in the U.S., there was demand, uh, but everybody was watching the same content through illegal channels. So that screamed, you know, an opportunity. So that screamed demand, screamed opportunity to us. Um, you know, going forward, Sort of from from getting everything from Asia, uh, you know, I was raised in Spain, and uh, you know my parents still live there. We moved there when I was two years old, uh, and I'm very familiar with the type of content that Spain has and uh, the crossover between uh, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, uh, and Spain in terms of their content. So a lot of it is episodic, uh, a lot of it is very high uh, quality in terms of production, uh, and it has a much more different flavor uh, than the Asian uh, content. Uh, and we thought that it would be very interesting to bring that type of content into the Drama Fever platform, uh, seeing how you know, the U.S. Hispanic audience is growing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, attention uh, behind uh, the, the Latin content. Um, and 
we started our licensing efforts uh, in October of last year, uh, and we've, we're fortunate to be able to enter into deals with some of the largest uh, broadcasts and production companies uh, in the Latin territories and in Spain. Are you planning on adding to that foreign language inventory content from other countries, in other words, other languages? Yes. So this year um, we'll be very focused on the our Latin channel, uh, including content from Spain. Uh, other things that we're exploring right now are larger catalogs uh, from uh, from China. Uh, we're seeing a lot of great content uh, coming from the Middle East, from Turkey, for instance. Uh, content from Turkey. The same episodic TV formats are wildly popular uh, throughout, uh, you know, from Greece all the way uh, to the Middle East through all the different countries in the Middle East. So that's extremely interesting to us as well. Uh, and, you know, beyond geography, uh, we're looking at other genres as well. So like I mentioned, you know, we've been focusing a lot on the TV episodic format. Uh, you know, we're taking a good look at movies, documentaries, uh, and variety shows. Let's go back to the monetization for a moment. So we have a business audience here trying to get their arms around how this is a, a, a smart from a business perspective. What you do is that you place video ads in, within the content as you would any other programming on television or online. Is that right? That's correct. So for a just to use the television format, traditionally there's a one-hour-long segment, 40 minutes of editorial programming and 20 minutes of ads. Is that about the ratio that you're using? What we have right now is uh, most of our content is between 40 minutes uh, and an hour, uh, and uh, we'll have a pre-roll unit uh, and then uh, mid-roll video ad units every 7 to 10 minutes. And uh, each uh, video ad unit will range between 15 seconds to 30 seconds. And is there a possibility for viewers to skip that? The only way that you can skip um, the video ads is by becoming a premium uh, user. So we have uh, two revenue sources from dramafever.com. First one is the one we've talked about, the advertisement base. And the second one is uh, our subscription premium model. Uh, now, we've priced it on the high end at $10 per month. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, for those people that, for those folks that uh, just can't watch any video ads, will pay $10 a month uh, and get to skip uh, the advertising. And how are viewers responding to that, what percentage of your audience would you say right now has purchased that option? It's In terms of percentage, it's, uh, it's small. Uh, I would say it's under 2%. Um, but in terms of you know, the revenue that it brings, it's, 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 it's significant. And we see this as a, uh, as a pretty interesting uh, growth opportunity going forward. Um, again, I think that you know, because of uh, how we're structured in terms of being able to uh, present content and allow users to discover it, uh, the free ad-based service is is crucial uh, to our uh, 
core offering, uh, but you know, also very a small component of percentage uh, is on the premium side, and, and it's 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 decent revenue coming in. How do you go about selecting the sh- the new shows or the the content that you have on there? Are you looking at the potential? For revenue, in other words, when you select a program, do you look at the kinds of ads that you might be able to place or what, what is involved in that process? So the first thing that we do is, you know, we think of ourselves as, um, as a content curator. So, uh, we try to become very familiar with the content we're licensing. We watch a lot of it, um, uh, here before we license it. Um, a couple of things that, we look for when we, specifically when we license content from new territories, uh, is how successful were they uh, in their domestic markets? Um, what is their crossover potential? So some uh, of the very local comments do not translate well when subtitled into English. So uh, that's some things that we watch out for. Uh, and number three, uh, does it Fit uh, the, the storylines uh, fit sort of uh, what we think is uh, uh, it's a successful recipe uh, in terms of storytelling for our audience. So um, when we license titles from uh, Telemundo Internacional, which are extremely long, uh, you know, 160 episodes. Um, we need to make sure that we can bro- break these up into series uh, and present them as, um, you know, having a finite number of episodes so that users who are in the discovery phase don't get scared at the commitment of a 160-episode title. Uh, so, so those are the things that we look for. Uh, uh, local uh, d- uh, domestic market share. Uh, cross-border sort of uh, uh, potential uh, when we subtitle it and whatnot, and then being able to localize it uh, to uh, the taste of our users. For those who are might be interested in placing some ads, what is the entry level? I know you mentioned the length of the video ads. Um, would you tell us a little bit more about that? So the latest uh, campaign that we did in Drama Fever was a Toyota Prius campaign. Uh, and because you know we're a destination online site, uh, we're able to be very creative with the um, uh, with the campaigns that we can uh, that we can execute. Uh, the Toyota Prius campaign had a uh, homepage takeover, so we skinned our entire homepage with uh, with their creative. Everybody who would come to Drama Fever uh, would see uh, the dominant uh, Prius uh, creative with the cars that click through to a microsite. Uh, and then uh, our first pre-rolls uh, would be for the Toyota Prius campaign as well. Uh, that matched with uh, a display campaign around uh, all of the videos. So somebody would go into Drama Fever, they would see the, the skin on the homepage. We call it the homepage takeover. They would click to a video. The first pre-roll would be uh, the Prius uh, video advertising. And, of course, on top of it, you would have a leaderboard with the Prius uh, ad. Are advertisers able to select 
the placement of their ads by segment, say geographic location or gender or type of program? How does that work? Absolutely. So um, we are able to target uh, by geography and then by uh, title and genre. So uh, when we ran uh, a campaign for another automotive uh, that was focused mostly on young, uh, younger men, uh, we had their video and display ads uh, target all of our action titles. When we have uh, cosmetic companies coming in wanting to address uh, a female audience, uh, we will focus uh, those campaigns around uh, the romantic comedies and the melodramas, uh, which uh, attract uh, a higher percentage of women viewers. What is the range, if you will, for advertisers to enter? Is there a minimum buy? And is there a, I guess there's usually no maximum. Usually the sky's the limit, right? <laughs> That's correct. Uh, we do campaigns right now with a minimum buy of $10,000, uh, and that's for one week. And uh, any kind of measurement or tracking? Yeah, we have uh, click-through rates uh, that are uh, very high. Um, we're looking at uh, uh, close to 0.2% uh, on some of these campaigns, uh, especially when uh, the creative uh, is... Uh, caters well to our audience, uh, you will see a lot of um, uh, click-throughs and, um, uh, and demand for, uh, uh, to learn more. One of the things that uh, it's, it's very powerful uh, on the site is that uh, we have uh, a display unit on top of our video player, which stays there for the entirety of the video stream. Uh, and it's not unusual for folks to uh, click on it when there is maybe uh, a patch in the uh, uh, in the video that might be a little slow and they want to roam around. Uh, they'll click on an ad or they'll go down. They'll read some reviews. So it's in, in that sense, uh, you know, the ad units get a lot of mileage on our site. One thing that I've heard from many folks with online placements is that a lot of Visitors tend to go, and this is particularly true of Hispanic audiences, for some reason they skew higher in this, that they will respond sometimes even higher than mainstream to online ads, but that their follow-through, their actual purchase tends to be in person. Have you any data on that from your audience? We know that uh, the... The Latino audience uh, are more engaged, uh, and as a function of their engagement, I mean, almost twice as much as uh, our average user. As a function of that engagement, uh, they naturally do more click-throughs. Uh, beyond that, uh, we don't have much data about, uh, you know, completion of a, of a purchase or or anything in that nature. But we do know that they're more engaged because they're more engaged, uh, you know, in terms of clicking through and uh, and taking that first action. Uh, it's more successful than our average user. So what suggestions would you share with our listeners 
who are interested in learning about ways to reach a diverse audience such as you have done so successfully. I know you said that you're still in the growth phase, but the numbers that you've shared with us seem like they're very promising. What suggestions would you share to listeners who would like to know more uh, about this concept and these ideas that you have taken to a successful place? Well, I think that the first thing is, uh, you know, every uh, successful marketing campaign uh, needs to be creative. Um, I think that a lot of uh, advertising dollars uh, chase uh, the same assets, the same titles, the same uh, mediums. Uh, and I think for those innovative brands that uh, are willing to be a little more creative and take a risk, uh, they'll be well rewarded uh, when uh, they do branding campaigns uh, and whatnot on, on sites that have uh, huge engagements that offer something fresh, new, uh, to a very engaged audience. So take a chance, I'm hearing you say. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Suk, for joining us from New York City. Thank you, Elena. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Sue Park, who is co-founder of Drama Fever Corp., who discussed Drama Fever. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. 